Good evening. Welcome to Refuge Bible Fellowship. Today is Wednesday, April 1st, um, 2020, and uh, we're just excited to be back together, uh, although online, back together and in fellowship, uh, getting into God's Word. And uh, today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 22, so we'll continue our study through God's Word in, in this chapter. Uh, but just uh, continue, I want to encourage you uh, to continue to be uh, deliberate about your fellowship um, for those of you that call Refuge Bible Fellowship your home, I would strongly encourage you um, to take the time to reach out um, to your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, through text, a phone call, um, on social media, uh, and just reach out and pray for each other um, and, uh, and just be concerned uh, in a very genuine way, of course, uh, about each other and be available for each other. Um, I, I do want to ask also that you would continue to pray for Charlie Sample as he, he's continuing to make progress. Um, he's uh, really recovering, uh, but he still has a ways to go. And so I would just ask you, church, to continue to pray uh, for Charlie. Um, also, um, we continue these, these online studies. Um, we're here on Wednesdays at 6.30, Sundays at 10.00. And after our time of study, especially on Sundays, we come together in chat rooms on WebEx Teams. And so if you don't have access to uh, the, the, uh, the account under Refuge, then I would encourage you to either email us at info at refugefellowship.org um, or you can call the office and uh, give us your email and that way we can send you an invite and you can get connected online. Now, um, as we continue also, just pray for our country, pray for our president. Um, he's making uh, some decisions, many decisions on a daily basis, just in regards to what we're faced with today. You know, everyone is, um, you know, staying at home, um, trying to be responsible in that way and not, uh, you know, spread the, the, the virus to anyone. And so, you know, we need to pray for him that and his whole uh the multitude of counselors that he has, um, so that they make wise decisions. And uh, so pray for our country, pray for our church, and pray for um, those who have already been impacted uh, by the virus. As they're fighting, some are fighting for their lives, and, uh, and others, um, you know, have experienced loss. Their family members have been lost. And so I, I just ask that you would continue to pray, that we come together in unity and in love and... Um, and uh, really cry out to the Lord on behalf of all who have been impacted. Now, um, this evening, again, as I said at the very beginning, we're continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel and in chapter 22. And so, um, you know, at, at this point in David's life, uh, he's left Gath, uh, the city, this is the city of the Philistines, and he went to the cave of Adullam which is thought to be in the hills of Judah. It's uh, west-southwest of Jerusalem. And uh, this, is, this is an, an area, the cave of Adullam, not too far from where he defeated Goliath. Now, David continues to live his life as a fugitive, uh, running from Saul, and uh, who is bent on destroying David. He uh, is seeking his life seeking to kill him. Now, we also need to, as we go into the study, kind of a little background, something to think about, 
is that um, God is still doing this work of preparing David for the throne of Israel. Uh, This is something that the Lord is doing through uh, a series of trials, difficulties of people coming against him, people betraying him. And uh, so the Lord has not forsaken him. He's not left him. And he's preparing uh, really uh, him for for something much greater uh, than what he really can imagine. And uh, so the Lord is with him. Now, with this thought, uh, I was directed to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which is important for us to consider when we're faced with trials, um, uncertain times, and, uh, and we need to remember this. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And also Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Of course, that's what I pray for you and I, that we would consider those few verses that we may understand that God is in control regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves being faced with, difficulties, trials, tribulations. We need to continue to lean and learn to trust in the Lord, walking in faith and not by sight. May we all acknowledge, know, and surrender to God who is continuing to teach us to trust him. May we exercise dependence in him. May we seek his wisdom and ask for his discernment on a daily basis so that we can live each day to his glory according to his wisdom, not ours, just as David was learning to do in the present day in which we're studying in 1 Samuel 22. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of study. Uh, We ask, Lord, as we always do, that you would give us understanding. May your Holy Spirit... Uh, teach us and lead us in all truth. Father, may we be encouraged, strengthened, and, uh, and even corrected. Perhaps in the way we see things, the way we've been behaving. Um, and, and Lord, remind us of how much you love us. Remind us of your faithfulness. And, uh, and just how patient you are with us. And so Lord, uh, may we humble ourselves before you. We ask for your blessing upon this time of study, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So we begin here with David in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, Again, as I said earlier, he's still running from Saul. He's living a life of a fugitive. Uh, And and although he's running from Saul, we need to keep in mind, he's he's really running to to preserve his life. And and in this decision to run, to leave uh, the place of danger, he certainly is not running from God. He's using discernment. He's exercising some good discretion. He's running from danger, but he's not running from God. Now, we know that he had, in the previous chapter, narrowly escaped being killed by the Philistines. And at this point, he's hiding in this cave in Adullam. 
I can't help but think that David may have been a little disoriented in the midst of such circumstances, just like you and I may be a bit disoriented in the circumstances that bring kind of chaotic um, circumstances around us. He had to be, and think about this, because we also need to really be aware of ourselves in, in the circumstances that we find ourselves in um, when we're faced with trials, when we're faced with difficulties. Because David had to be deliberate and conscientious to seek the Lord as all of this could overwhelm him with worry, with doubt, with anxiety, and fear. You know, the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. When we're in the midst of trials, we need to trust in the Lord and make a concentrated effort to seek him and maintain a constant fellowship with him, uh, keeping our eyes fixed on God and discern the path that he has for us to walk in. The Bible tells us that his word is a, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But the only way that we're going to discern that is if we're aware, aware of him in the midst of such trials. Knowing that his word certainly does light the very place where our feet are, where we're standing. And he lights the path where we ought to walk. Well, it was at the cave of Adullam that he was first found. And, uh, and he was first visited by his family, as we see here. The same brothers who had despised him and uh, had even persecuted David when he went to the front lines to visit them. And uh, all David was doing was going to the front lines when they were fighting against the Philistines. And uh, he was sent by his father to bring back word to his brothers about how they were doing. And it was at that point that Goliath, of course, the champion of the Philistines, came and was, uh, was really... Uh, insulting uh, not just the Israelites, but the God of the Israelites. And, and so at, it was at that point that David's brothers um, had despised him. They had persecuted him in that very moment. So now these were the very ones that had come to him at the cave of Adullam. Uh, David was uh, discouraged, as we uh, know, as he wrote in Psalm 142. So please turn with me to Psalm 142, and, and this is to get a better understanding of what David was experiencing in, in this cave, um, the hiding from Saul, and um, you know, it just gives us a good idea of, of where he was mentally and spiritually. You know, in Psalm 142, in verse 1, it says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me 
for you will deal, deal bountifully with me. And so we see the heart of David as we look back. We look back at this moment where he was hiding in this cave, but he wrote this psalm in regards to his time there, Psalm 142. But David was not only discouraged, but he continued to express a faith in God. As we read in Psalm 57, he was still hopeful in the midst of this trial that he was faced with. In Psalm 57, he writes, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be Over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down, bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great. To the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And so, obviously, David, in the midst of this trial, even though he was, in a moment, he was discouraged, in the next moment, he was reminded of God's faithfulness and he was filled with hope because he trusted in the Lord. And it's with this backdrop that we understand David a little more in his situation, what he was thinking at the time. And it serves to help us in our time of need as we look to the word of God as our present day source of wisdom. And that's why it's important to get into God's word because we learn of situations like this and we see the psalmist's heart, how it trusts in the Lord and how it helped be his strength knowing that God was his refuge in that day and he's our refuge in the day in which we're living in today. Now, it's interesting because Adullam means refuge. But what's interesting is that David was learning that God was his refuge. It wasn't really this cave. He was, he was there, and it was the cave at Adullam. But he was learning that God was his true refuge. God was teaching him a critical lesson. Now, Psalm 46 once says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. May we learn this critical lesson ourselves as we are encouraged by God's faithfulness in the life of David. Now, let's turn our attention to who the Lord brought to David. Uh, These probably wouldn't be the ones that David would have chosen. But God did choose these 400 people to come to David. He, He actually sent them to David. 400 people who are distressed, who are in debt, and who are discontent. That is bitter in soul. And so you, if you look at it from David's perspective, you could say, how can things really get worse? Right? As if things weren't already bad, 
Now I have 400 people who are described in this way, distressed, in debt, and discontent. So the question is, why? Why is it that these 400 people in this condition have come to David? Why were they sent to David? David really could have taken their distress, their discontentment, and, and, the, and really that, that really um, difficulty in their spirit, that the, the, the bitterness of soul, and turned them into a great, angry mob. But he didn't. He formed them into what was later known as the mighty men of valor, who were strong, skilled, and valiant men. Mighty men of valor is what they were described as. And so we see, even as we consider this, how it was that the Lord had sent these 400 men to David, and, um, and, and he, didn't, he didn't seek his own glory. He didn't pity himself. He wasn't self-centered, but his eyes remained focused on the Lord, and he sought his glory. And he took his responsibility uh, very serious, and he built these men up. In the Lord, and so they were called the mighty men of valor. We read here that David became commander over them, so he was assigned to lead them divinely, ordained by God, and this was a great responsibility. And he knew that he would be held accountable for this. Now we need we need to understand that God did not give him ready men, but God expected him to lead and train them, and David certainly did. Throughout history, if we take a look at the Bible and, and throughout the history of man, we see that God has called an anointed man to lead, just as we see examples in Moses and Joseph and Nehemiah and so many others throughout the history of man as we see in the Bible. But God also calls others to come alongside the man that is to lead and they are to and and they are this is what we need to understand they are just as anointed and called to come alongside as the man is who is called and anointed to lead and so everyone comes together Ephesians 4 11 through 16 tells us that every single person within the church has a place has a work that God has ordained for them to do in order to build up the church in sound doctrine and build everyone in love into the maturity of Christ. And so every single person has an ordained purpose in the body of Christ. Well, God was building the man and he surrounded him with 400 men, including his family, at the cave at Adullam. Verse 3 and David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now it's interesting how it is that David um, left, well, took his parents uh, to the king of Moab, and um, he sought their safety there with them. So why Moab? You know, we need to ask the question, why Moab? Moab was on the other side of the Jordan and then south. That's the area on the other side of the Dead Sea and even south from there. That's where Moab is. Now, if we remember back to uh, Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite. And so 
Who is Ruth to David? Well, this was his great-grandmother. And so David was seeking his parents' safety in the land that his great-grandmother had come from. And so he asked the king of Moab to keep his parents safe. Now, what we see here, though, in, in what we just read, is that David didn't have everything figured out. And so he wanted to keep his parents safe. And in the meantime, he was seeking the Lord and asking the Lord to um, help him figure things out, what it was exactly that he needed to do and go. And so at this point, he was learning to lean on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And that's exactly what David was doing. He was waiting on the Lord. Uh, He was hoping in the Lord, and he was learning to trust in him. Now, verse 5 says, Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now, once his parents were secured, once they were were safe uh, under the care of the king of Moab, uh, he was confronted by a prophet by the name of Gad, who told him to not remain at the cave of Adullam. But keep in mind, now he wasn't alone. It wasn't just King, or it wasn't just David, but he had 400 others with him. But he told him, instead of going back to the cave of Adullam, go into the land of Judah. The forest of Hereth is located a little closer to Jerusalem from where he was, the cave of Adullam. It's uh, south southeast from where he was located, and Jerusalem is still a little uh, to the east and north of where they were. Now, what we need to understand with this is that this prophet Gad had told him to get a little closer to where Saul was. This took a lot of faith and a lot of trust in God. He was learning to trust God in the middle of trials, and that's exactly what we need to give ourselves to, to trust God in the midst of our trials and demonstrate our faith in him. It doesn't do us any good to look back and say, we should have done things differently. We can learn from that, but it's better to express our faith and act on our faith in the midst of trials so that we can be used effectively for God's glory in the midst of them. He's doing a work in us, and he could use us to do a work in so many others. If we were to just give ourselves to the Lord, trust him, uh, sometimes when we, we just don't understand exactly why he's telling us to go in a certain direction, uh, we see it as coming closer to the enemy, and yet he has us. He's still on the throne, and we're still his. And, uh, and he, he has a, a plan, and, and he's doing a great work. And so we need to just basically trust in him. We need to learn to exercise faith in God, courage in the midst of trials, and be obedient to the Lord so that we can learn how faithful he is and really know what he's capable of in the midst of such trials. So again, this is God preparing David for the throne of Israel. The question for you and I is, what is God preparing you for? God has a purpose and a plan for everything. He has a purpose and a plan for everything that he allows us to go through. We need to learn and grow in our trust 
in him, learn to discern his voice among so many voices, and have the courage to obey him above all the other voices that contend with his. You know, we need to be in God's word. We need to learn how to discern his voice above all of the other voices that are coming our way, especially today. There's so much information coming our way. There's so much to be overwhelmed and and discouraged by, be filled with fear, and yet God says that perfect love casts out all fear, and that's to know the love of God. We have no fear because we remain in him and we trust him. Now, our attention turns to King Saul. From from David, now it turns to King Saul. Verse 6 says, Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him, and and the men who were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the, the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, people of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No, no one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Well, As we read there in verse 6, Saul heard about David's movements, and now he definitely has an idea of exactly where David is and these 400 men that were with him. You know, it's easy for one person to hide, but for 400, um, it's kind of difficult to go unnoticed for any length of time. And so Saul heard about David's movements, and he learned exactly where he was. But at this time, Saul was consumed with himself. He was consumed with a kind of a victim mentality, feeling sorry for himself, believing in his own mind that no one likes him and everyone is conspiring against him. This is the king of Israel behaving in this manner. He was self-absorbed. You can say that he was saying, woe is me. This is the voice of a self-centered man who has consistently disregarded God. As we think about it, sometimes when we uh, place too much attention on ourselves and we talk about ourselves and our circumstances and the trials that we're going through. Although real, if we put too much undue attention on us and play the victim, really what we're doing is we're taking our eyes off of the Lord and not fully trusting in Him. It's one thing to ask others for prayer, for perhaps what we're going through, uh, but it's quite something different. It's quite different um, to continually place us out there and fail to simply trust in the Lord. You know, for, for Saul, he was constantly disregarding God. And we've seen that as we've studied uh, through these chapters of 1 Samuel. Now, notice these things. Number one, you know, as, as he says this, you know, woe is me. He's playing the victim. Notice just what we've read, just read there. Number one, Saul has spear in hand. In other words, at that point, he has spear in hand, he's commander and king. And also, Saul has his servants standing all around him. Just picture this in your mind. Spear in hand, he has all of his servants, servants all around him. And yet he complains. He cuts down David, calling him the son of Jesse. 
And really, he didn't call him by his name. He called him, you know, he referred to him in this way uh, because it, it, was a, it was a dig at his humble origin. You know, where he came from as far as he came, he was a shepherd boy. That's all he was. And so that's how he re- referenced him. So he was cutting David down. Uh, he was also comparing with the land um, that Saul could give. He was comparing David with Saul. He was saying, hey guys, what kind of land can David give you? Can he give you vineyards? Can he give you fields? And the answer, of course, at this point for David, he wasn't king. It was no. And so he was trying to entice them with this, trying to change their hearts uh, um, uh, you know, from, from being toward David in a good way to being against him. He also was drawing this contrast between him and David in regards to power. What kind of power can this, uh, this son of Jesse give to you? Could he make you commanders of thousands? Can he make you commanders of hundreds? And the answer, of course, at this point is no. So he's manipulating him. That's what he's doing. He's, he's slandering David in such a way that he's changing the hearts of the people to be for Saul and be against David. And then he accuses, he goes after his servants that are all around him. He accuses everyone of turning on him. He says that all conspired against him. No one tells him uh, that his son had turned against him by conspiring with David. Uh, No one told him, no one made him aware of this. These are all assumptions, by the way, straight out lies and slander against David to manipulate the thoughts of the men toward David. And so we know that Saul was maligning David and turning the men against him. And this was his whole goal. This is exactly what he he was doing. If he couldn't murder him, with the spear that he had thrown at David three times previously, perhaps he could murder him in his character by these words that he's saying. They were all lies. It was all slander. And it's sad when people do this toward others. May we as Christians never allow ourselves to fall into this line of thinking or assuming and behaving and neglect to deal with a situation like this in a biblical manner. You know, it, we deal with it in, in a biblical manner, and, and we honor and we glorify the Lord. But we need to keep that in mind. What, how is it that we're behaving toward others, towards each other? Well, there was one man who was willing to do anything. He had no, this man had no morals whatsoever, and even had a murderous heart, an insincere man. And he went by the name of Dog. He was an Edomite. Dog the Edomite is who we're introduced or we, we are reacquainted with in these verses. So verse 9 says, Then answered Dog the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, as uh, now Dog comes up with this, the Edomite, um, he's explaining this to the king, and he saw how it was that the king had turned on all of his servants, and, and so he was even accusing them of conspiring along with, as, as he had said, along with Jonathan and even David against him. And so now Dog the Edomite made it sound as if 
Ahimelech was conspiring also with David with full knowledge against the king. And Saul's suspicions were thus deflected from his men, all the servants, and redirected toward Ahimelech. Now remember that dog was at the tabernacle when David was there talking with Ahimelech? But we need to understand that as dog was there, and he was performing some perhaps religious rituals um, that he had to do, he was... Um, he was possibly sent there by King Saul himself to perform these these rituals in order to remain in his service. Um, we need to understand that that his heart was not there. Uh, it had made no impact on his person. Uh, his heart was full of evil. Dog the Edomite was just going through the motions at the tabernacle while he was there. Now verse 11, as we continue, says, And the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day. Wow. Now, notice how Ahimelech presented himself to King Saul. So he was summoned, and so, of course, uh, Ahimelech and all the priests, they came, they humbly came before the king, they presented themselves before the king. But the way in which Ahimelech presented himself to the king is very important for us to notice, because this was a man with a clear conscience. He had no idea what he was walking into, what he was going to be accused of. Because this is the way he responded to and presented himself to King Saul. He said, here I am, my Lord. Ahimelech had to have been in a state of disbelief. As Saul made these accusations of conspiring against him with David. Again, as we take a look at this, as it unfolds, what we see here is, is all of this is revealing Saul's paranoia. None of it is true. And now he's accusing everyone around him of all of these things, which were, as we know, they were all lies. They were things that he was making up in his own, uh, in his own mind uh, because of his anger and his bitterness toward David. Now, we need to also understand, just being aware of ourselves, that this is something that people can fall into. And from this, so many false things can be assumed, can be built up in the mind, and it can destroy so much, just as we see it happening with Saul in our, the situation that is before us here as, as we see the relationship between David and King Saul. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what we ought to do. We ought to take every thought captive. We need to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. In other words, the, the very word of God. That's what we ought to do. So just be sober-minded, be clear-minded, um, be conscientious about what we think and what we allow to come into our hearts and submit those things to the Lord and let him guard us, let him guide us 
and allow him to truly be God in our lives and, and govern our hearts in the things that we do to bring glory and honor to him. So Ahimelech responded in verse 14. He says, then Ahimelech answered the king and, and he said this, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captive over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And so Ahimelech responded to King Saul. It was, it, it's interesting because he had no idea, again, what he was walking into. These accusations that King Saul was making toward Ahimelech, um, really, in, in Ahimelech's innocent, innocence, he, he really didn't know where it was coming from. And so Ahimelech's response was sincere, it was genuine. And yet these words really set Saul on fire, is what we see here. This is the truth. All he's doing is laying out what is, what is true and what Saul knew to be true. David is your son-in-law. True. He has been your faithful servant. True. He has been captain over the, the bodyguards that, that surround you, that protect you. True. And Saul has, I mean, David has been a servant in your house. He has been an honored servant in your house. And all of this was true. There's nothing that Saul could say uh, in opposition to this. It was all true. And thus, there's no conspiracy. You see, Ahimelech was speaking truth. But Saul wanted no part of that. He was building up an imaginary case against David, and he didn't want to hear anything that would clear David, and not even the truth. All he wanted were people around him that would just agree with him. Oh, yeah, of course, that, that is exactly, and even if they didn't agree, maybe they, they just go along with his actions. Just go along with him and, and, uh, and go after King da or David. I keep wanting to say King David, but he's not king yet. But go after David. But God had other plans for David Verse 16 says, And the king said, and this is in response to Ahimelech, And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Dog, you turn and strike the priests. And Dog the Edomite turned and struck down the priest, and he killed on that day 85 persons who, were, who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep he put to the sword. Well, since Saul saw that Ahimelech wasn't going to agree with him. He decided that's it for Ahimelech. He decided he chose to put him to death. And he also made the very heartless decision 
to murder every other priest. And he put on that day 85 priests in the grave. He killed 85. But what we see here also is he ordered his men to kill these priests. They, they wouldn't lift their hand. They wouldn't lift their sword to do that very thing. They feared the Lord more than Saul did. Saul was quick. He was very rash in his decision uh, to kill these priests. And so it was really a heartless act. Shameful. These servants of Saul really had a fear for the Lord. They couldn't do it. But then we have Dog the Edomite. This one guy who really was wicked. He was as wicked as Saul. And as Saul ordered him to kill them, he did. He did so gladly. Eighty-five priests in total, not to mention all the people, livestock, and livestock of Nob, the city of Nob. And so we see here that he killed men and women, uh, children and infants even, and even all their livestock. He just slaughtered them all. No remorse, no regret, cold-hearted murder because of the hatred toward one man. And we really need to understand the circumstances here. The hatred of one man is what drove them to do this very thing. And it was just two people that brought great destruction upon all the priests um, against the Lord, against truth, and against the whole city of Nob. It's amazing what destruction just two people can do to innocent people, people of God. Uh, But God was, we need to understand, this is what we need to understand, is that God was still on the throne and was doing a work in the life of David as now David learned of what had taken place. So now he gets word. In verse 20, but one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. You know, the son of Ahimelech, Abiathar, uh, he escaped the slaughter. He ran, he ran to David, and he told David everything that had taken place. And at the point that David heard everything that took place back in Nob, the 85 priests having been slaughtered and all of the other people, men, women, children, and, and infants, and, and all of the livestock having been slaughtered, he realized that he was the cause of all of this. By not telling Ahimelech the truth, he put his life in danger, and David took responsibility for his death and the death of everyone in Nob. In other words, David confessed his sin. He realized that his actions put Ahimelech and everyone else in danger, and now we have all of them slaughtered. Now, even though David regretted his actions, he was remorseful, and he confessed them and repented of them, there there were still real consequences that's something for us as we sometimes are faced with the, the truth of what we've done. Even though we, we confess, we, we uh, demonstrate great genuine remorse, confessing we repent of those sins, 
at times there are still some very awful consequences that come because of our actions. And so, you know, there are things that happen. And nonetheless, we ought to confess those things and be humble before the Lord and, um, and choose to do things differently from that point forward. You know, so David was sincere. He was genuine in his sorrow. And he, he was also genuine in his hatred for what Saul had done and Dog the Edomite had done. There was nothing that David could do for them. And he realized that. You know, what, what had taken place was done. It was too late. But what, what he could do is take care of the son of Ahimelech, Abiathar. And he told him, hey, the people that sought, seek my life will now seek your life. So stay with me, and thus you will be safe. You know, in closing, I want to bring you to Psalm 52. In Psalm 52, this is the Psalm of David. And it says, To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Dog the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And, and so I, I believe this will give us a good perspective in, in closing, just realizing really what David was going through, how much he trusted the Lord. His, his cries went out to him, so he was a man of prayer, but he's, he was also a man of great hope, of great trust, and a great faith in the Lord. And so Psalm chapter 52, verse 1 says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Selah. And he was speaking, he was, he was referring to Dog the Edomite. Verse 4 says, You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see in fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good, the presence of the godly. In closing, we know that in this psalm, David was filled with indignation, righteous indignation toward Dog, the Edomite. But as we read there, he was also confident toward God. He was confident in God's judgments. And David's focus and faith remained on and in God. And his hope, as we see here, did not waver. May we learn to fix our hope in the Lord in the midst of such trying times, and know personally that God is forever faithful. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of study. And I ask, Lord, that these truths would resonate in our hearts, that we would continue to be built up according to your truth. May we consider the thoughts that we have, the things which we do, If there is something that we need to repent of, Father, I pray that we would be humble before you, confess our sins, and ask for your forgiveness, and make things right, 
with those perhaps that we've offended, Lord, that we would not have murderous hearts, thoughts, intentions in, in, before us in, in, in our hearts and our thoughts, Lord, but instead we would desire to bring you glory. May we also understand that you're still on the throne, just as we see the life of David, how it is that you're, you were preparing him for something much greater. I pray that we would not lose heart, but we would continue faithfully to serve you, to bless you, and allow that hope in Christ to be our joy, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to have your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we would seek your wisdom and glorify you in and through our lives. Glory be to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.